This is the Life Church Podcast. Can we pull that picture back up again? Um, yeah, there we go. That one, correct. Uh, you know, <clears throat> this, this fills me with joy. And I know Pastor Wayne's already talked about it, but I, I, I think about it, you know. Um, when, we, when we started Servolution seven years ago, I remember us sitting around discussing it, Chris and I and Adam Kolosik, we'd sit around and discuss it, and to be honest with you, as we started talking about Servolution, it's like all we can think of were, were obstacles, <laughs> challenges, you know, how are we going to get that many shoes, how are we going to you know, gather that many volunteers, how are we going to do this, how are we going to do that, you know, and, 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 and admittedly, what we did back then was just tiny compared to what, what happened yesterday, um, but I remember us sitting around talking. I remember one time saying, saying uh, to, to Chris or Adam, I don't remember who it was, but I said, can we even possibly get like 25 volunteers? Do you think 25 volunteers would even show up for this event? And then yesterday, standing here in this corner and looking over, I, t- I took that picture actually from that corner over there. I took this picture of just all the red shirts. And uh, I mean, I melted. I melted. It's like, it's just amazing what God is doing in our midst. And to be, let me just say, explain, I've been talking about this a little bit to some people. This is discipleship. This is discipleship at work. You know what discipleship is, really, what growing spiritually is? Growing spiritually is that you, yes, part of it is knowledge, gaining more knowledge of Christ, more knowledge of the scriptures. But it's when it gets a hold of you, not just getting it, but getting a hold of you so you start giving yourself away to others. That's real discipleship. That's when we grow up as Christians when we start giving ourselves away to others. And we started this church 13 years ago with that heart in mind. That's what we wanted. And not because it's, you know, the the generosity is just amazing, but I'm not talking about financial generosity. You have been incredibly financially generous, yes. But the generosity of spirit and of heart. I mean, that's, that's God's heart. For God so loved the world that he gave. What did he do? He gave his only son. He gave himself away. And for us, that's the true expression of being a disciple of Christ is when we start giving ourselves away to others. And I have to be honest, I looked at that picture and I said to myself, I'm proud to pastor a church like this. I'm proud to pastor generous people like this. And so thank you so much. Thank you for being generous. Thank you for giving yourself away. That's what really matters. Amen. Amen. All right, this, enough mushy stuff. <laughs> you guys are great. I just have to say that. I, I, I'm, I'm, t- I'm on cloud nine. I've been floating since yesterday, just saying, Jesus, how, I don't, I'm pinching myself. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. And yet, God, look what you've done. And so, again, thank you so much. All right, let's get back to our series. <laughs> Uh, we're in this series called Neighboring, where we've been talking about what it means to be a neighbor, right? And we want this series to be more than just some catchy title or, or trendy idea, you know? We, we brand it. We do it on, intentionally. We want branding so that so it catches your attention, so you see it. But, but we want it to be, to be more than that. We want it to be our identity. We want those outside of Life Church to look at Life Church and say, yeah, those people are good neighbors. That's what we'd love to hear. That's a, that's a testimony to, to your generosity, to your, to your uh, living out your faith in Christ. 
And that's what we long for. That's what we desire. And so, you know, and, and honestly, the truth is, is that we are called to love others, right? That's, the, that's what Jesus said. You're going to be known by that. I mean, doctrinal purity, that's important. Moral standards, those things are important. But you know what? Jesus did not say you'll be known by your doctrinal purity. He did not say you'll be known by your moral standards. He said you will be known by what? By your love for one another. And as we exemplify that, as we start fleshing that out and living it in this world, we become witnesses and testimony to God's love in this world. And so that's really what this whole series is about. In fact, we, we kick this off. Where's my card here? Did I drop my card somewhere? Ah, here it is. Excuse me. Last week, we kicked this off, the series off with uh, asking you to take this card seriously. You have them in your seats if you didn't get one. Uh, last week, you don't need more than one, but if you didn't get one last week, pick one up. It's, uh, it, it's basically a card showing you know, eight empty houses around you, and this could literally, literally represent your neighborhood, right? like you're here, and then you have neighbors all around you and would encourage you to get, a, get to know your neighbors. It can also be, it can also be a, 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 a neighborhood that you drive through on your way to work. God's put a burden on your heart for, for them, and so you can make a choice and a decision to start reaching out to that neighborhood. It could be cubicles or offices around your office at work, whatever it might be, whatever it works. But the idea is for us to become good neighbors, and so the encouragement is for you and I to start filling these boxes out with those people that, are, that we're in contact with and start loving them the way Jesus wants us to love them, right? And that was really the challenge last week as we talked about the Good Samaritan. And so today we're going to talk specifically about loving where you work. Now, my, I'm not trying to get you to like your job. That's not the point of this sermon today. It's not, it's not love where you work. It's love where you work, right? The emphasis is on love, right? It's to, it's, it's, whether you like your job or not, no matter what, you're still commanded to love. Every one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have a pass from loving people around you if you, look, you have a tough work environment. We're all commanded, we're all called to love where we work. And so this is important because the reality is you're going to spend 91,000 hours. If you work full time from the age of 20 till you retire, you're going to spend 91,000 hours in the workplace. That is a lot of time. A lot of time to be with other people. And so Jesus encourages and calls us to, to love where we work. So imagine, just imagine the, the impact that we could make as a church. If we were intentional about this, if we were strategic about this, about loving people where we work. So that's what we're going to do. So we're going to look at this, though, from Colossians chapter 3, uh, where Paul is going to talk to us about, kind of encourage us in, in terms of the work environment. But he's going to do this. I have to kind of give you a little bit of heads up because he's going to do this. Uh, he's going to address the work environment by addressing um, slaves and their masters, okay, in Colossians chapter 3. And so whenever you read about slavery in the scriptures, it kind of, this little jolt that you get, like, why don't they condemn this more? You know, why doesn't the scriptures, you know, come out more strongly against slavery, per se, you know, because of, of obviously the history that we have experienced ourselves, right? But to be clear, the Bible does condemn slavery. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, it condemns slave traders, it condemns perverts and liars in, in that list. And so it does condemn slavery. But Paul, when he addresses it, he addresses it a little bit differently. 
than how we maybe expect it to be. You see, during the first century, about a third of the population in the ancient Near East, what's called the ancient Near East, the the part of the world where the Bible was birthed, uh, about a third of the population were slaves. Their entire economy was based on that, right? And so, yes, there was abuse, but it's not like what we are familiar with when we think about the American history and slavery in the American history, right? It was much different than that. There was something, something inherently different to, to slavery. In fact, there's a professor at UCLA, Scott Barchi, who he's also a New Testament scholar. He just what he says about first century slavery. He says, with first century slavery, it's important to, to note that racial factors played no role, unlike our history, what we're familiar with, where people were discriminated against, treated poorly because of their color, because of their ethnicity, because of their race. He says, education was greatly encouraged and slaves could own property. In fact, what's interesting is that during that time period, people would actually sell themselves into slavery because it meant a better life for them. And education was encouraged. So you could find that there were slaves back then during Paul's time that were doctors, they were, they were teachers, they were accountants, they were engineers. Um, and what they did is they just went into it and they were able to own property. It was a little bit different than our very terrible history, pre, especially pre-Civil War history of slavery. Something very, very bad happened in our history, but they're not exactly the same as what Paul's addressing and what we're... In fact, what Paul is addressing would resemble more of the workplace. Slaves back then were encouraged for edu- to be educated, were encouraged to own property. They were paid a salary in many ways, whereas what we know and what, what's in our collective memory is actually very, very horrific, right? So Paul's going to address this, and, and he's going to basically be talking to the workplace. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, he says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Again, you have to think in terms of workplace as opposed to thinking about our own modern history of of slavery. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that 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 you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. That's really the message here, right? That if we're gonna, we're gonna be ambassadors of Christ's love, then we need to recognize that it's Jesus whom we're working for. It is Jesus who, 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 is, uh, who is really our boss. No matter what your job is, we're all on assignment for God. This is what Paul is trying to tell us. And then he gives us some implications, right? He says <clears throat> um, that, that, if, that I, don't do my, I don't do my best work only when the boss is looking, Right? We could get away with that, it seems like, in the workplace. In fact, it happens all the time that the only time I'm doing my best work is when the boss is around. I kind of loaf around otherwise. Paul would say, no, no, yeah, you know what, but you working for Jesus, and guess what? God looks all the time. God is watching all the time, right? That's one of the implications that Paul is telling us here. The other thing that Paul is, is alluding to is that the boss gets taken out of the equation, Right? So you can justify hating your boss and the reason why you don't do good work is because your boss is just a terribly mean person. But Jesus, but Paul is telling us, hey, Jesus is your boss, right? This week as I was doing some research, I was kind of 
going online looking for um, research on, you know, how I like lists, you know, and I was doing research on, uh, uh, you know, workplace environment type of um, top 10 list kind of things, you know, and most of them were just boring. There was a lot of research out there that's just boring. Yeah, whatever. I was getting nothing out of it. But I came across one that just kind of floored me. Uh, it, the, 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 the question was, top 10 reasons why people don't like their bosses, right? So if you're a boss here today, this is for you. No, just, just kidding. I'm not going to give you the top 10 because it was the first one that I read that just made me, ch- I was at the coffee shop. I started laughing out loud because this is the number one reason people give why they don't like their bosses, because he tells me what to do. I'm like, okay, that's kind of his job, right? To tell you what to do. But look, you might have legitimate reasons why you don't like your boss, but listen to what Paul is telling us. You work for Jesus. He's your boss. He's always watching. And so since you work for Jesus, do it with all your heart, Paul is trying to tell, tell us. Can you imagine the testimony we would have as believers if we approach work that way? If every day we went to work with the idea that I am working for the Lord, I am working for the Lord. I am working for the Lord. When I was uh, my, right out of high school, I, my first job, was, it was a summer job, was working for Arco Oil and Gas Company. I was a, a, a delivery driver for Arco Oil and Gas Company in Dallas, Texas. And, uh, and so uh, I got this job, I, and the job was based out of the mail room in this, in this uh, big high-rise building in downtown Dallas. And you go down into the basement where the mail room was, you know, and... And there, there I was, you know, and in this job, at this place, there was a lot of, uh, you know, different assignments that people had, different jobs that people had. We also had a boss that I couldn't stand. His name was Scotty. Scotty was, was naughty. <laughs> I don't know. Scott, Scotty was terrible. You know, that's his bad word. The worst word I could possibly say is naughty. Um, Scotty was just, he, he, the only way he knew how to give orders or give instruction was by barking them at you, just yelling, you know. If you started asking him a question, before you can end the question, he would stop you and just tell you what to do with a few flowery words in there. He just kind of cuss you out on the way, you know, like, you're just wasting my time. That's how we felt around Scotty. We were always wasting his time. And man, yeah, and he was managing a lot for sure, but still, he just had this terrible attitude. No, nobody liked him. He had one guy that really liked him, but they were kind of buddy-buddy, but everybody else was like, man, just stay away from Scotty, you know? And so there, we had drivers at this place. We had, we had uh, mail sorters. We had people who, um, who would take the mail and take it up into, you know, the different floors of the building, you know. And, and then we had the lowest job, the lowest position at, at, at the Arco mailroom was the gopher. That, I'm sure there was a, a more sophisticated title, but that's what he was. He was the gopher. You know, just go clean up here, go do this, deliver this to the 32nd floor, do that. You know, that's what this person did. That would have been considered like the lowest job there. And so there was this guy that was fulfilling that job. His name was Johnny. He was a middle-aged man, divorced. He was also a Christian. And Johnny and I kind of connected at, the, at that level that we were both Christians, you know, whereas we, and we were in this environment that seemed like it was just hostile towards us, right? And so I remember, you know, Johnny would come to work every day, and he would whistle this tune. This is, I'm, I can't whistle it, but he was, this is the tune. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. You know that song? I will rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad. That's what, that's what he would whistle. <laughs> 
And I'd hear, and they'd be saying, hey, Johnny, go pick that up. Hey, Johnny, go clean this. Hey, Johnny, take this over there. And Johnny's just whistling, this is the day. And finally, one day I was like, man, dude, how can you possibly be whistling? I know the song. How can you possibly be whistling that song when everybody's telling you what to do and you got Scotty on your back all the time? I'll never forget what Johnny told me. He said, listen, listen, if you, if you understand work as worship, If you understand your work as worship, then you can do any job, any job with a good attitude. If you understand that you're doing it unto the Lord, right? That means that you could be scrubbing toilets at McDonald's and you can do it with joy. And that's interesting. And that's really what Paul is getting at. That's the spirit of what Paul is getting at here. And then he, address, so he addresses slaves, and now he addresses masters. And he says in uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So Paul's saying, hey, listen, yeah, you've, you, you've got a master too, right? You have people who are accountable to you. Guess what? You are accountable to God. You have people who report to you. You also report to God. And so if you want, if you want uh, for God to treat you kindly and fairly, then remember to treat those that are working for you kindly and fairly as well, right? So whether you're an employer or you're an employee, really this is a challenge that the Apostle Paul is giving us in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It says, do all your work in love. Do all your work in love. Like, literally, your work. The place you go every day, you're employed at, do it in love. Now, that's a challenge, right? So we're focusing on that today, not just about doing good work, but also about loving the people you work with. But sometimes it's just hard to love the people you work with. Sometimes they're just not, it seems to you, that they're not lovable, there's a professor, pastor, and sorry, not professor, pastor, and clinical psychologist, Les Pearl. He talks a lot about relationships and particularly about difficult relationships. And he came up with this list of personality types of, of people that might drain you, that might pull resources from you or make you feel weighted down. And he kind of comes up with this list. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of run down that list really quick. And what I want you to do as I'm going down the list, I want you to think of... Think of a, of a name and a face, possibly, of who that might be for you, right? Now, if that person's sitting next to you, yeah, like, don't say it out loud, you know, and uh, don't look at them. Don't blink too much. Don't hold your breath, because they'll know that you're thinking about them, right? So just hear what I'm saying. So this is what I want you to do. I'm, all right, so here's the first personality is the critic. The critic of the person who's constantly complaining, nagging, and giving unwanted advice. So you may not work with somebody like that, but how many of you live with somebody like that? <laughs> oh, I put my hand down too. <laughs> my wife's sitting there looking at me like, all right, I know you're just telling a joke. <laughs> That's the nitpicky boss, the constantly complaining coworker. The business partner is constantly looking over your shoulder and trying to second guess all your decisions. It's the, you know, it's the constant critic, right? They know how to do, they know how to do what you do and everything you do and when you do it, how you do it. They just know how to do it better. And no matter how well you do, 
They'll always find something you didn't do well enough. That's the critic. Then there's the martyr. This is always the victim, racked with self-pity. Tends to always communicate, no one notices me, nobody appreciates my work, right? Uh, There's always something upsetting them. You're kind of leery. You don't want to ask them. I've made the mistake a lot of times to ask, hey, how you doing? Because <laughs> you'll hear it. <laughs> They'll tell you exactly how they're doing. And you're like 30 minutes later, it's like, okay, I just wanted you to say, I'm fine. <laughs> you know? But no, they don't say that. They just go on, you know. You have uh, the wet blanket. This is pessimistic and automatically negative person. These people, you know, even when they try to say something positive, they just have to say something negative, right? So like they go to a wedding and they're like, man, this is such a beautiful wedding. Too bad the groom couldn't lose 10 more pounds, you know, or something like that. You know, it's, it's, they want to say something positive, but it just comes out. It's just negative. And then there's a superstar. This has, the person has to be the center of attention. They, these people kind of help you with your listening skills because they're always talking. When I wrote this one down, I'm like, oh, bash. Chris is going to be sitting there saying, yeah, that's you, Rich. That's you, Rich. <laughs> they always have a story to tell. Their story will always top yours. I mean, if you look at their Facebook uh, page or you look at their Instagram posts, it's like what they're saying is, hey, look how great my life is and how much better my life is than your life. That's, that's how their posts seem to always come across. It's the superstar. Then you have the steamroller. This is boldly insensitive to others. <laughs> yeah. They're kind of oblivious to the feelings of other people, you know. And then when you confront them, they're like, hey, I'm just telling you the truth, you know. And, uh, you know, just trying to help. It's not helpful, right? You have the control freak. This is the person who has to be in charge all the time, right? Tend to be a bit of a micromanager. Like if you're on a business trip with them, they have to drive. I'm driving, you know, they have to be in control. You have the backstabber. These are people who can't be trusted, it's the coworker who, while you're, you know, you're talking to them in private, they're, they're telling you how, uh, how they agree with you and they're on your side, but then in the public forum, all of a sudden they turn around completely and, and, and they just stab you in the back. Maybe it's a coworker who's talking behind your back. You have the green-eyed monster. These are the per- pe- people who seethe with envy. They're always trying to pull down. Whoever gets a promotion, whoever, suddenly that person is the enemy and they're trying to pull them down. You have the sponge, constantly in need, but gives nothing in return. Can you identify somebody like that? No, just don't point them out or anything, but can you identify somebody like that? Right? They're always in need, but then you just never get anything back from them. Right? It seems to just drain you. I mean, just, just thinking about them drains you. Right? So maybe as I kind of went through these these different personality types. I'm sure that some of, some of you had some names and faces that came to mind. And I wonder, though, if, if there's anybody out there that would identify you as one of these. And if the answer is no, then there's probably another category for you altogether. But, <laughs> right, right. You see, I think what happens is that we tend to look at how hard it is for us to love other people, but we rarely ask the question, how hard is it for people to love us? We rarely look in the mirror and ask the question, what am I putting out there? And that's really the more important question to ask. How easy is it for others to love me? So Paul's going to give us some, some general instructions on how we treat others and how we love others. 
And remember, this is kind of the context of the, of the workplace here in Colossians. So after talking to masters in, in, in Colossians, he, verse 1, in verse 2, this is what he says. Devote, yourself, devote yourselves to prayer. That's a great place to start. If you're thinking about the workplace, if you're thinking about people that you work with, if you're thinking about people that are hard to love, first piece of advice that Paul gives is devote yourself to prayer. Prayer, Right? I mean, what would happen if tomorrow we go to work or you go, maybe you're a student here, you go to school and you decided instead of trying to figure out how you're going to just deal with the workplace, you're actually going to pray for those people that you work with. Imagine how things could change. Imagine that, you know, you go to, that you're going to pray for that coworker, you're going to pray for that fellow student, you're going to pray for that atheist professor that's, that's teaching you instead of just trying to figure out how to deal with that person, right? Like right now, who could you, who are you thinking about that? that you might need to pray for. Think about it. And make a commitment tomorrow morning to get up and instead of saying, gosh, I've got to face that guy today, say to yourself, God, will you give me an opportunity to have a great conversation with him to share the love of Jesus with him? He goes on, verse two, in verse two, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. He's talking about paying attention, about, about being alert, about being present. You're not just there in body, but you're present right? You're not just punching the clock, but you're actually paying attention. He goes on, be, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. That's pretty much the spirit that Paul wants us to, to live every single day of our lives because we have the love of Christ in us, right? We have a reason to be thankful. We have a reason to go to work every single day with a smile on our face, thankful because Christ has done something inside of us. He's transformed us. He's changed us. We should live that way, Right? shouldn't be known as the, you know, the people that are always irritated or annoyed, but rather the person who is thankful and joyful. And verse 3 goes, and pray for us too. So Paul says, pray, be alert, be thankful. And he says, pray for us too, that God may open the door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Paul is in prison as he's giving instruction, okay? For which I am in chains, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Do you hear what he's saying here? He's giving us instructions on how to deal with people that your coworkers, while he himself is in chains. He's like saying, hey, I realize that you have a really messed up boss and that's difficult for you in your current employment, but my current, play, my current employment has me in prison. I realize that that cubicle that you sit in is not a very positive job experience, but I'm in chains right now, is what Paul is saying. And what's really cool here, I love this, is how Paul says this. He's, he's, he's saying, hey, I'm in prison, and I'm asking for this. So I want you to imagine, if you were in prison, and you were asking your church to pray for you, how would you what would you ask them? What would you ask for? You'd ask for freedom, probably, right? Say, get me out of these chains. Set me free. Hey, pray that God will just, that God will overturn the conviction, that's what we would pray, but that's not what Paul prays. Paul says, hey, pray that I may have an opportunity to present the gospel clearly. What would happen if we had that kind of attitude in the workplace? That we didn't look at our workplace as a prison, but as an opportunity to serve Christ better. Imagine how we could change the world that way. Amen. In Colossians uh, 4, verses 5 through 6, he says, be wise in, in the way you act towards outsiders, 
Make the most of every opportunity. We'll come back to that in a second. Let your conversation, that's an important word, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Your conversation in the workplace, all right, makes a big difference. So is your conversation full of grace or is it full of gossip? Is it full of grace or is it full of criticism? Is it full of grace or is it full of complaining? What kind of conversations are you having in the workplace? They make a difference. They make a difference. He goes on. Back in verse, let's go back to verse 5. He says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Outsiders are those, those people who are not a part of the church, right, who don't know Jesus. And he says, be wise in how you treat them and how you act with them. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most, other translation, make the most of the time that you have, right? So you, that's really the challenge for us, to redeem the time, to make the most of it, right? So you might be a truck driver here, and you might see yourself as a truck driver. My job is basically to go from here to there, to deliver stuff from here to there, but if you see yourself as working for the Lord, then the next time you, you stop at that truck stop to refuel, it's not just a refueling point. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for God to use you. Maybe you're a school teacher. I know the school teachers, and your, your schedules, you don't make enough money and you, and you work a lot. And I'm not trying to give you more to do. What if as a school teacher, you just had some birthday cards in your desk, and, uh, and when, when one of your colleagues, one of the fellow teachers all of a sudden have a birthday that you would pull one out, you'd write a nice note in there, a happy birthday note, and also maybe a scripture of encouragement, and just drop it off, at their, drop it off in their classroom and just encourage them. That's making the most of every opportunity. I know that you can feel overwhelmed by it. What if you just made the most of every opportunity? I can go on with these examples. But Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. Now in the Greek, the word that he uses there, that we, it's translated in our translation, in our, in our version, opportunity, is the word time. And in the Greek, there's two words for time. There's chronos and kairos. Those are two words that are used for time in the, in the Greek New Testament. Chronos is kind of like, like exactly what it is. It's precise, exact time. So right now, it's 10.59 in the morning. That's chronos. The chronos is 11. Now it's 11. <laughs> I looked at the clock. It's 11, which says, put it to, bring it to an end, Rich. <laughs> there's chronos. And then there's another word that's used, kairos. And that does refer to time, per se. So it's 11 o'clock, but it's, it's more than just an 11 o'clock. It's it's the opportune time. It's the right time. That's what that really means. It's the divine moment kind of time. So yes, it's 11 o'clock, but it's more than just 11 o'clock. It is the right time. And that's the word that Paul uses in this translation. That we have divine moments. Often, often through life, we have divine moments. That's what Paul's telling us. That God has an appointment for you. And I realize that some of you are busy people, and so your calendar fills up and your schedule gets full, but you need to understand, you need to put this on your mind as well, that, that God has a calendar. And he's written in his calendar, hey, Rich, I've got a divine appointment for you on Tuesday at 4 p.m. 
And the job for me is to be aware of that, to be conscientious to the Holy Spirit of him leading me and guiding me. We need to pray that God would open up our eyes for his God appointments in our life. Listen, that person that sits next to you at the lunchroom, it might not just be that. It might be a divine appointment. It might be a Kairos moment in your life. That coworker that you walk by their desk and they seem to be upset over something, that's not just, oh yeah, it's a coworker who's upset. It might just very well be a divine appointment that God has for you. Or maybe as I've been talking, there's been a face. I'm, in fact, I'm absolutely sure of it, that you've been thinking of a coworker, you've been thinking of a boss, you've been thinking of maybe even a spouse, you've been thinking of somebody that's on your mind. And that's not just by chance. That very well may be a divine moment that God is putting on your heart, a Kairos moment for you to seize. See, God has an appointment for you on his calendar. And he wants you to be sensitive to it. He wants you to make the most of it, is how Paul says it. Just stand. Um, <clears throat> you know, that's our commitment as a church, that we want to be neighbors. We want to neighbor well. We want to be good Samaritans, whether it's in our actual neighborhoods or whether it's, it's in, uh, you know, like I said, neighborhoods that we drive through or maybe it's in the workplace, that we're not going to love just the people that we want to love, that, like, that we love, that we like to love. It's easy to love people that you like to love or that love you back, right? That's easy to do. But what about that, that critic of a coworker, that sponge of a coworker? We're called to love them too. Love where you work. As I said last week, you know, neighboring is... It's, it's easy to come to a church like this and you know every time I preach I, I have an invitation I want you to make a response and a lot of those responses oftentimes are, are, are spiritual things that God only God can do only God can heal your body only God can set your soul free and save you only God can can uh, you know mend the relationship between you and another person that's been fractured and broken by abuse or whatever only God can do that and oftentimes the invitation is for you to come and in prayer say, God, will you do this for me? But there are some things that are already written in Scripture that are told that this is what we should do. And it's no longer really just a matter of prayer anymore. It's really a matter of saying, God, I make the choice. So last week we talked about that. The Good Samaritan, it was a choice that was made. And so today, as I encourage you to love where you work, it's simply a choice you have to make. You have to choose have to choose that God is your boss while you're working, that your attitude is going to be adjusted because God is your boss while you're working. It's a choice, and I encourage you to make that choice this morning. And we're going to have our prayer teams here, and for sure, come up and pray as we, as we, as we enter into worship. But my encouragement to you today is to make a choice to neighbor. This is the Life Church Podcast. 